0: Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. I actually went back to school in legal studies because I wanted to help the Innocence Project you know, find that one little clue that would help to exonerate some guy on death row or in prison for life. That one piece of evidence that was overlooked or withheld from the defense. It would be so exciting to be able to free an innocent man. And in this episode of Full Rigor, We're going to talk about the 1998 murder of Dale Pike. It is a true South Florida murder mystery, and Enrico Forte, known as Kiko Forte, could be an innocent man wrongly convicted. He has spent the last 20 years in jail in South Florida. So many say that this case is like a reverse-engineered case of Amanda Knox. Remember, she was the American student in Italy who was convicted of murdering her roommate in two thousand and seven Meredith Kutcher, a fellow exchange student, she shared her apartment in 2015 Amanda Knox was definitively acquitted by the Italian Supreme Court. but only after four years she spent in prison she had been convicted using what's called touch DNA. She was wrongly convicted, but it took four years to figure out that she didn't do it either did her boyfriend. So what is touch DNA? the actually find a skin cell. They found it on the knife and on a bra strap hook and then they extrapolated out and that's how they convicted her. Oh yeah, also because there was a language barrier Amanda Knox signed a confession that she really hadn't read because she couldn't understand Italian. So she basically confessed, but she didn't do it, and she was found not guilty eventually. Well, in this case, it's the Italian Amanda Knox. Instead of an American being screwed by the court system in Italy, it's the Italian who, attorneys say, was screwed by the court system in America. It's involving the Italian Enrico Forte, who came from Italy, Ibiza, Italy. It's spelled with a Z, Ibiza. But it's Ibiza, Italy. And he came to Miami because he wanted to talk to a guy that his father was selling this famous hotel to from Ibiza. And the guy ended up dead. Here is Kiko Forte's attorney, Joe Tacapina. There's no forensic evidence linking Kiko Forte to this crime. None whatsoever. People have made comparisons to this case in Amanda Knox. You don't decide this person is guilty and then look for evidence to back it up. So, again, that is Kiko's attorney, Joe Tecapina. He spoke with 48 Hours about the case. So, you know, Amanda Knox was 20 at the time of the murder. She called the police after she returned to her and Kircher's flat. She actually went in, took a shower, and she noticed blood in the bathroom. And she's like, oh, what happened here? And she went back after showering to her boyfriends, and then when they came back, they found the body. And that's when everything spiraled out of control, and she spent four years trying to exonerate herself. Well, in Italy... The verdict here in the Enrico Forte case is viewed as a miscarriage of justice because of the lack of a valid motive or solid proof. Well, there is a motive, but there's no direct evidence, as Takapina just said, except for a teaspoonful of sand that was eventually found outside of Forte's car on the trailer hitch. And it matched the sand from the scene of where the body was found in Miami. But remember, Enrico Forte was a world champion windsurfer, so there was really good reason to have sand in his car. So really, if that's the only thing you're hinging the case on, that's a pretty weak case. So Dale Pike, who was the victim, was found lying naked face down on a quiet stretch of beach on Virginia Key near Key Biscayne. Let me set the scene for you. Virginia Beach is off of the Rickenbacker Causeway. So if you're traveling to Miami and you're on 95 southbound, you're going to go past the Julia Tuttle Causeway, the MacArthur Causeway. Those take you over to Miami Beach. Then you've got downtown Miami. And then when you pass downtown Miami, you get to the Rickenbacker Causeway. And that's going to take you to, there's a restaurant called the Rusty Pelican there. Uh, They also play in Key Biscayne. They used to play the tennis tournament there, the Lipton. And then also you've got Virginia Key there. It's a very quiet small key which is a small island attached to the rickenbacker causeway so his body was found dale pike's body was found on this key it had been dragged through the sand so a beach goer saw blood in this sandy trench that led to some bushes and it was the body was found face down he had been shot twice in the back of the head with a 22. so the killer or killers actually staged the scene where the body was found, so he could be quickly identified. So it pointed to a specific suspect, Enrico Forte, Kiko. So according to Tecapina, there was a boarding pass with Dale's name on it. There was a pendant from the hotel in Ibiza. And then there was a phone calling card with only one phone number on it. And that phone number belonged to Kiko Forte. Forte had just signed a deal with Dale's father, Tony Pike, to buy his destination resort, Pike's Hotel, in Ibiza, Spain. And by the 1990s, that hotel was beginning to lose its reputation and slowly decline in popularity. And in 1998, Pike had put the hotel up for sale. It was worth millions, the sons thought, but he signed a deal to sell it to the Italian TV producer and wind surfer extraordinaire Enrico Forte in Miami. So his son, Anthony Dale Pike, flew to Miami to deal with Forty in person because Tony, he was sex-crazed, and I'll get into what happened at the Pike Hotel, but he actually was diagnosed, Tony, the father, with full-blown AIDS and AIDS dementia. So he was selling the hotel for $1.5 million in 1998, and the son, Dale Pike, thought that his father was in an AIDS-induced fog and undervalued the hotel and therefore got ripped off. So at the time Tony was diagnosed with AIDS, he had asked Dale to help him run Pike's Hotel after Tony became really sick in like 1997. So going back to the beginning in Ibiza, Tony Pike arrived there in 1978. Um, He led a very colorful life. You will not believe it. He had been shipwrecked in the Caribbean. He was a bobsledder and he got in a bobsled accident. He served in the military. He drank heavily and he married and divorced three times and he was a sex fiend so in the 1980s the authorities in Ibiza grew very concerned about wild orgies and drug use that were going on at this hotel in fact it was so extensive that Julio Iglesias was one of the people that used to go to the hotel and he was a close friend of Tony Pike and he reportedly befriended the police chief invited him and his wife to the hotel for a lovely dinner and ever since then there was no trouble with the law at the hotel but it was a 15th century stone mansion it was converted into to the infamous hotel in 1978 by British-born Australian playboy Anthony Pike, Tony Pike. And it developed an extremely notorious reputation for hedonism in the 1980s and was a playground for the rich and famous. It was a special place. Now here is Dale Pike's brother. So Dale Pike's dead. Here's his brother Brad talking to 48 Hours about this special place that attracted special people.
1: Frank Zappa, Julio Iglesia, Wham, George Michael, and of course Freddie Mercury.
0: It was really Spain's version of Vegas. The video for Wham's 1983 hit Club Tropicana was filmed there. And Freddie Mercury, bless his heart, God rest his soul, had his 41st birthday bash there in 1987. And it was one of the most lavish birthday parties ever held in Ibiza. And I love how Freddie Mercury called everyone darling. But anyway, in 1987, Freddie Mercury celebrated his birthday. And several months after then, he discovered that he had contracted AIDS, just like Tony. So Mercury sought much comfort and retreat at the hotel and with his close friend Pike because they both had the same disease. So the party was held on September 5th in 1987. It is described as, quote, the most incredible example of excess the Mediterranean island has ever seen. Ibiza is in an, an island near Spain. And it was the most lavish party even Pike had ever thrown. It had a guest list of 500 celebrities, There were 700 people in total. It included Julio Iglesias, Grace Jones. Remember, she was in the James Bond movie. A View to a Kill in 1985. She actually slept with 007. Jean-Claude Van Damme, Kylie Minogue, which a lot of people don't know who the hell she is, but she's an Australian singer. Anthony Quinn, Bon Jovi, who, you know, has never strayed on his wife. He's like the best husband ever. Boy George, love him, Tony Curtis, no relation, Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin, Naomi Campbell, who was apparently a real bitch, and uh, Spandau Ballet, just for grins. And there were thousands of gold and black helium balloons, which reportedly took three days to inflate. And who knows what happened if they released them into the wild, what they did to the environment. But anyway, the cake the, the first cake collapsed, so they had to make another cake. And the bill, the tab, which included 232 broken glasses, was given to Queen's manager, Jim Beach. I don't know how much it was, but I'm sure it was big coin. So by the 1990s, the hotel had fallen into difficulties, and it was in disrepair, and it needed to be sold. So Tony Pike brokered this deal with Kiko Forte in Miami so that he could buy the hotel. Well, Thanks to medication, in November of 1997, Tony was clear-minded enough, and he traveled to Williams Island. It's an exclusive enclave outside of Miami. He was visiting an old friend, Thomas Knott. He's a German expatriate who had a taste for the good life. He would rather drink champagne rather than water, but he couldn't pay for it. So, Knott was convicted of 14 counts of fraud, stealing millions of dollars, and went to Williams Island straight out of a German prison. And he turned up on Williams Island as a high-flying tennis pro. Apparently, he wore a lot of tennis clothes to deceive people. So he met a woman named Chave Mesmer, and he was charming, so she eventually married him to get a green card for him. So it was a sham nuptial, and she quickly had it annulled when she saw his fits of anger. He had a really, really bad temper. So while Tony was visiting Knott, he met Knott's upstairs neighbor, Enrico Forte, and they hit it off. And Forte at the time was really successful, he had contracts with ESPN, he had won a popular quiz show, he produced extreme sports videos, remember he was a a windsurfer extraordinaire, he was a mover and a shaker, and he was buying up properties right around Williams Island, and he seemed to be the perfect fit to buy the hotel. So the sales papers had been signed, but Dale Pike and his brother Brad still had questions about this deal. So when Forty went to pick up Dale at the Miami airport on Sunday afternoon, that was February 15th, 1998, Dale's flight was late and Forty said he almost left. He waited for him for two hours. And then when he didn't find him, he started paging him. So it would have been like, Dale Pike, white courtesy telephone. Dale Pike, white courtesy telephone. So they started playing this game of telephone tag via the airport intercom system for about an hour and a half. Well, Kiko... Picked him up, and this is what he told police. Well, actually, he picked him up at MIA. If you've ever been to Miami International Airport, it is in the bowels of Miami. and You can get off at the wrong exit and roll around and get into a real mess there. There was a time when tourists got into a lot of problems. In fact, there were exit ramp signs to and from Miami International Airport that had, like, a little sun on it that were tourist-friendly. Because Miami is so confusing, a lot of tourists would get off at the wrong exit, so the sign would show them where it's tourist-friendly because there was an actual license plate that designated that your car was a rental car. I think it had a Y on it. And they would be driving around the bowels of Miami, and they were targets because thieves and criminals and carjackers could tell that they were tourists just landed by the rental car. In fact, in 1993, a German tourist, a 39-year-old woman, Barbara Meller was savagely beaten and killed. She got lost while driving an Alamo rental car in Liberty City shortly after landing at MIA. She was heading to a Miami Beach hotel in the Alamo rental car and was rammed from behind on a road parallel to I-95. And when she got out to check the damage, two men beat her to the ground, stole her purse, and then ran over her head with their car as they fled. And her mother, her six-year-old son, her two-year-old daughter watched in horror from the car. So when Kiko Forte picked up Dale Pike at the airport, Dale said, I need some cigarettes. Do you have any? Well, Kiko didn't smoke. So Kiko took him to a gas station to buy some cigarettes. And when Dale got out of the car, according to Kiko Forte, he went to the phone booth and made a phone call. This is back in 98, so really no cell phones. So when police pulled the phone records from that telephone booth, they came back and said that Kiko had lied that there was absolutely no record of a call that was made from that phone booth on that day at that time. The problem was they subpoenaed the wrong year. And by the time police subpoenaed the correct year, the records were no longer available. So there's no way to ever know who was on the other end of that call. So after he got in the car, he bought his cigarettes. Kiko took him to the Rusty Pelican, which is a restaurant on Virginia Key. And when he got out of the car... Kiko saw a white Lexus. Apparently, Dale Pike got into this white Lexus and Kiko saw the man driving. He actually gave police a description of the man behind the wheel. He described him as elegant. He had hat, sunglasses, a gold chain, a gold watch wearing white. He gave him a description and they made a sketch. 40 says after he dropped Pike off at the Rusty Pelican he didn't think any more about him because after he picked up Dale Pike at MIA he was supposed to go to Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport and pick up his wife's father they are a long distance away up 95 it's a good 45 minute ride and she was telling she was pregnant at the time they had two young girls at home she's like you got to go pick up my father at Fort Lauderdale Airport don't be late by picking up i don't even know if he told her he was picking up Dale Pike but she's like don't be late in picking up my father so he calls her at about 7:10 after he dropped Dale Pike off according to him and he lies to her and says he's on his way to pick up her dad and he's on time and he doesn't say that he's picked up Dale Pike he lies so Joe Tecapina again the attorney that's representing Kiko Forte, he said he was nervous about the time that Pike was arriving because he had to pick up his father-in-law around the same time. And it's a long ride. It's, it's very stressful. So, and traffic in Miami sucks. I was a traffic reporter for 12 years flew in a helicopter and it was, man, people in Miami spend half their life in traffic. It's awful. So he picked up Dale, asked to stop to buy cigarettes, made the call from the payphone. He was going to a party with friends and they were the party that he was going to was at the Rusty Pelican. It was a party with friends of Thomas Knot. So he was dropped off at the Rusty Pelican and you're going to hear that name Thomas Knot again because he may be the real killer. We don't know. So again, he got into a white Lexus with people he didn't know. And at 716, Kiko called his wife, lied to her about what he was doing. Then he picked up her father at the airport. Now, Dale's body was found 24 hours later on Virginia Key near the Rusty Pelican. That's where he dropped him off. And Forty says that he heard about the news about Dale's murder on Wednesday and that Tony was flying into Miami. And he was confused. He was still in shock, and he spent the night trying to locate where Tony Pike was. But the police had spirited Tony away, and they wanted to know more about Dale's trip and the hotel deal. And they certainly were convinced that the deal with the hotel and the purchase of the hotel was the impetus for the killing. Here's what Kiko's brother told 48 Hours. This is Brad. It just
1: didn't feel right. I wanted to go and see this guy face to face. All I knew that my brother was going over there for the deal. So it's really like it was the deal that created the death.
0: So Forty says he didn't know any of this when he reached out to police on Thursday. He thought it was the right thing to do, but uh, he was walking into a hornet's nest because uh, the police were ready to pounce. They were suspicious of him and the hotel deal, and they tried to trick him. They suggested Tony also might be dead. So his attorney, Joe Takapina, says the police lied intentionally to Kiko, and what Kiko thought was, oh, my God, I was in Miami. I picked up Dale. He's dead. These guys think I killed them both. So he panicked, and he told him that he, in fact, did not pick up Dale Pike so when asked when did you actually tell them that you picked up Dale Pike he said as soon as he had the opportunity but detectives say Forty only admitted to picking up Dale after they confronted him with the airport paging records proving that he and Dale had made contact and Forty says that's a complete lie and that the lie the police were telling was much bigger than the lie he told that he didn't pick Pike up from the airport he says he came clean on everything, he told the cops all he knew about the Pike family and 40 pointed investigators to the longtime friend of Anthony Pike's, Thomas Knot, and that Thomas Knot was stealing money left and right from Anthony Pike. The police went to find Knot, but by then, he had vanished. And the former wife said she wasn't surprised that Knot had vanished when Dale Pike's body was found. And Takabina says with 100% certainty, there wasn't any motive for Kiko Forte to kill pike but there was plenty of motive for thomas not but cops caught up with not days later in downtown miami and not told police 40 had his own motive and he said that dale's concerns about the hotel sale would ruin Forty's deal so not made a very compelling case apparently that kiko must have killed pike and kiko was trying to swindle him from the hotel police had enough evidence to charge both men with fraud not for running up $90,000 on Tony Pike's credit cards and Forty for allegedly trying to swindle Tony out of the hotel. But for the Miami police, Forty was the prime suspect, and the police were determined early on that it was Kiko and Kiko alone. And after all, Forty was the last known person to see Dale Pike. Remember that? And he lied to police about picking him up at the airport and his wife. And Not had something Forty did not. He had an alibi. He was hosting a dinner that night. He had a dinner party at his little apartment, so there were a lot of people in that area at that particular time. Gave him a lot of witnesses for an alibi. So the alibi clears Thomas not. but then the timeline should clear Forty. There isn't enough time for Forty to pick up Dale, murder him, and then meet his father-in-law in 90 minutes at Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. He could not be the trigger man. But they didn't accuse Kiko of being the gunman, the triggerman, or the shooter. They don't accuse him of that. They say that he was an acting accomplice with someone else with whom they had no idea, but there was someone else. So even if Forty wasn't the triggerman, prosecutors decided they could prove that he had had a role in dale's murder and prosecutors cut a deal with not to testify against 40 even though the convicted con man from germany had failed three polygraph tests in october of 1999 they announced that they had critical physical evidence linking 40 to the crime of course that evidence wasn't dna or fingerprints it was the grains of sand less than a teaspoon that were found in his trailer hitch Well, if he wasn't the trigger man, and he wasn't the guy that killed Pike and left him naked on Virginia Key on the beach, how would the grains of sand have gotten into his trailer hitch if he wasn't even at the beach to commit the killing? And Forty's murder trial in 2000, prosecutors poured over blow-ups of microscopic images of these sand particles, with their experts saying that the grains definitely came from Virginia Key. The state pathologist did provide damning testimony as well. Based on the undigested food in Dale Pike's stomach that he likely ate on the airplane, the pathologist said the time of death was consistent with the time between 6 p.m. and 7.16, when Dale Pike was with Forty and when Knott was at home having the dinner party. Well, according to pathologists, that's kind of a big mistake that the defense didn't call their own pathologist because it's very difficult to pinpoint an exact time just on stomach contents. Pathologists have known for decades that people simply digest food at different rates, and you cannot pinpoint the time of death to the minute in this way. And also one pathologist believed that the lack of animal or bug bites on the body and the state of decomposition indicated that Dale Pike, could have died much later or even the following day when 40 would have had an alibi of his own. But prosecutors stuck to that timeline. They highlighted the 716 phone call that 40 made to his wife. Remember, he was telling her that he, he had picked up her dad and he was supposedly heading north to pick up the father. A cell phone tower instead places 40 going in the opposite direction. So if he has a cell phone, why did Dale Pike have to get out of the car and make a call on a payphone? Anyway, prosecutors, without any proof, speculated that Forty was on his way to get rid of evidence. The defense countered that there were way too many variables, including the weather, to determine why one tower picked up a call and not another, and they tried to offer not as the best suspect, but it didn't work. Every time they tried to bring him up, oh, he's not the one on trial here is what they said. Ultimately, prosecutors decided to not call the convicted con man, Thomas Knott. And on June 15, 2000, the case went to the jury. So police did arrest and question Tony Pike's longtime friend and Forte's neighbor, Thomas Knott. And they later convicted him of running up $90,000 on Tony Pike's credit cards. So there's a motive there. So in June of 2000, Forte was convicted of murdering Anthony Dale Pike in Miami. So that's Dale, not Tony. So Tony Pike died of cancer at age 85. He had totally outlived the prognosis of five years when he was diagnosed with full blown AIDS in 1995. Pike's hotel, valued at five million bucks, was later finally sold in 2008. Forty is now serving a life prison sentence at the Everglades Correctional Institution. It's a level five security prison in unincorporated Miami-Dade. It was a mental health facility that was converted into a major correctional institution in 1995. So it was just open as a prison when he actually showed up there. Is he guilty of murder or is he not? Joe Tacapina has his hands full as his defense attorney. So Dale and Tony Pike are dead. And Enrico Forti, once a sports champion windsurfer who traveled all over the world today, is still restricted to a six-by-eight-foot steel and brick prison cell. He says only his body is behind bars. He apparently is able to travel in his mind. He says he does that a lot, and that's his way to survive in prison. That wraps up Full rigor for this episode. I'm Karen Curtis. Thanks for joining me.